Welcome to the Hidden Why podcast. This is episode 946, my interview with Simon Hammond, and we're discussing his book, Brutal Truths. I hope you enjoy it. Simon, welcome to the Hidden Why podcast here in Australia. This is kind of a rare occurrence, really. Thanks for having me, Lee. Nice to talk to you at last. You're, um, you're down there in Victoria, in Melbourne. Yeah, look, it's not a great place to be, to be honest. It's, um, you know, You've heard that. It's not so much the coronavirus, it's more the emerging attitude of people towards it. I've watched, you know, people really become quite feral and, mm. and self what ways? Well, I think that what happens is we go through stages, don't we, where mm. we, we think the threat's there, we try and adapt, and then we start looking at each other. And I think when we look at each other, there is a lot of finger pointing now and a, and a lot of um, division and derision in, in society where people are kind of going, well, it's not fair. And I think at the heart of things that upset us the mostly is when things don't feel like they're fair. So I've seen that emerge as a very interesting thing about people's view on this is, is it fair? Am I being treated fairly? It's not, are we going to get through this together? That's not what it's about. It's about what's in it for me. And, and, and is it fair for me? I think that's what's emerging. It's the, uh, yeah, sort of putting out their blame and yeah, um, not really being a part of the solution, but just really being a part of the, the problem, I suppose. Well, you know, there's a topic in that alone, isn't there? I just, you know, my struggle at the moment is whether or not we are genuinely, whether we've gone backwards in our altruism and our community um, desire to connect or whether we're just, you know, one of the things I talk a lot about is meism, which is, for me, a fairly new phenomenon in the last 15, 10 to 15 years where we are living in a time of unprecedented ability to um, promote and be our own brands. And so that's caused meism, where we just really are looking to ourselves. And I think society is withdrawn into individual self-gratification more so mm. than connectivity. And it should be going the other way, really. Oh, I mean, sure. the COVID thing should be helping us move the other way even more so. But I felt sort of for the last several years anyway that we're moving towards that collectivism, you know, rather than that meism. But perhaps that's not the case. Do you think we are that way? Do you think as a as a race we have a propensity to connect or do we have a propensity to look after ourselves first? What's your view on that? Well, I think in the Eastern cultures you see more of it. They, they're sort of very much more family-oriented, you know, about the collective. Um, and I certainly think in the West we're not so much. We're very much about the individual. But yeah. I, I feel that we're starting to realise that that's not the better way, you know. Gee, I hope you're right. I, I hope you're right. I'm not sure you are in that I can't see evidence of people kind of they're paying lip service to the idea of um, connectivity but and, and community, but I just don't see enough evidence of it. I see our consumerism in the West taking us further away from it. But I think it's getting to a, a, a brink point where it's it's got a it's, it's, it could either collapse and it could be devastating. Now, I'm a positive person, but I really think there's some, some big wake-up lessons to come in the next um, decade um, for, for the way we've been doing things. And I don't think it's sustainable the way we've done it. Um, and I think that's going to hopefully um, force us almost to connect back, come back to our communities, come back to our families and, and gather together um, mm. like, it, like it should be done. I really, I've lived over in Japan for many years and I know... In many ways, what they do in their societies is is very um, applaudable. I think it's great. I mean, there is limitations to the cultures, but in most ways, I think there's a lot of things that we could learn from it here in the West. 
That's an interesting thought because I, I realize you've spent a lot of time in Japan and, and I think I've spent a lot of time in Japan and Europe as well. And I feel the difference between those cultures like Italy or Japan, Japan or Spain or so on is they have hung on to family and they've hung on to their values and society has come before uh, finance and commerce. And I, and I do think that they are quite nationalistic. So mm. I just it makes me ponder about what is the future of, of how we form our societies. Do we do it in such a way where we protect our community first and what it stands for and define that? Or do we just open it up so that we get the best trade possible and we, we have no heart and soul to what we've got left? Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, we need to connect locally, but we also need to connect um, globally as well. Um, yeah. I don't think we can we can shut ourselves off. I don't think that's the solution because it's, it's not. We're all global, you know. It is global. Um, and that's just a fact. We have to we have to manage it globally, but we can still be local while doing that. Yeah, no light-hearted subjects for us to start on, are they? Really? No. Just... <laughs> I look at it. The, the um, you know, someone made a comment the other day. I'm in real estate, and I um, we were talking about newspapers and um, a particular newspaper that's local here, and it's it's got local stories, local people, and 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 the comments from the the the, the locals here that live in in the area that I live. We're very favourable. They like that. That's what they want to hear. Uh, it's not that they want to brush off the international news or what's going on in the world, um, but they really like to know what's going on in their local community. They like that level of connection. Yeah. Um, and hopefully that becomes more paramount. I think I feel like it's going to. I think I feel like it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but there there needs to be that integration of both local and um, yeah national global etc. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think it's going to head that way in 2021 as well. I think that 2021 will will have people come out of this and think about what their life's all about and kind of go, what did I learn out of that? And I, I think it's going to be a battle between our sort of 10 years or more of self-gratification through, you know, almost instant access to whatever we want through the internet mm. versus our inbuilt kind of almost like DNA that's come through the ages around needing community and tribes. So I think that's going to be the clash of the two. And I hope tribes wins over consumerism. Uh, I guess we're yet to see, but I, I think they're some of the, some of the things we're doing at the moment is we're lying to ourselves in major ways. And first we've got to get over ourselves. And if mm. we get over ourselves and understand that we're telling our tr ourselves uh, mistruths, then maybe we can be honest about the need for each other. I hope so. Yeah, do you think the um, – because, I mean, we're not in isolation up here and I, I couldn't imagine um, how it is down there, you know, for, for such a long period of time. You've sort of really been restricted to, to what you can do and where you can go and, and very much isolated. Um, and there's a, there's a powerful sort of stoic, uh, you know, practice of, of forcing yourself into those situations where you're, you're limited by what, what you have around you um, to build up that resilience when it does happen. Um, do you think there's some, some value that can come from this? I do. I do. I think that isolation is um, is a very good thing uh, for, a, for a period of time only because we as a society and especially anyone under 40 especially is obsessed by filling every moment of their day with things that um, just make sure they're distracted. So whether it's social media or, or Netflix or anything else, mm. we can't seem to sit and ponder anymore and do nothing. So isolation has helped to some degree because people have run out of things to do or get bored with with social media and perhaps they're sitting thinking and writing notes on notebooks. So, yeah, I think good can come out of it. I I mean, I talk about kind of what I call the, the new sickness that we're facing and, and sick really as an acronym is, is, in my view, soft, isolated and confused. 
And I think that these are some of the issues we have to face into. Um, we have become quite soft and we've become mentally quite soft and we've become isolated. We've built what I call phantom tribes, which we think are great things to belong to, but they're not. They leave us feeling quite empty. And we're confused because we've got a lot of very loud minority thinking telling us that um, perhaps, you know, perhaps everyone, you know, perhaps the world is all equal and everyone should sort of say everything politically correct and we should never get upset or emotional. And we're confused because we don't have leaders. So I think they're the things we have to get over if we're going to genuinely ponder and understand what isolation can teach us. Mm. Does this sort of cover it in your book? Brutal Truth? Yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the book Brutal Truth is is me trying after well, essentially sort of 40 years of combined journalism, um, suicide counselling, and in the last 30-odd years working very deeply into consumer behaviour with the agencies that I've run. Mm. I've come to the conclusion after all those years and thousands of hours of discussing truth that there are really only five brutal truths that are holding, yeah, they're holding us back uh, today, that are holding us back from sort of living the life that we should live. So that's what the book's about. And it it ends, it's an optimistic book, even though some people are getting upset by the truth. I think it's an optimistic <laughs> book because it ends up on a roadmap, um, much similar to what you talk about in many ways, Lee. It, you know, it's a roadmap of self-awareness, um, not just goals. And, and as such, <clears throat> I talk about the idea of people's most which is a moment of self-truth that you have to find if you're going to be true about who you are. But to do that, you've got to stop lying to yourself. And that's what those five brutal truths are about. Do you mind sharing those, the, the five brutal truths? Can we go through those? Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, I, I think, you know, there's a couple of controversial ones. I'll run through them very quickly in order. I, like I start by yeah. talking about, I talk about our mental weakness. And, you know, I, I try and very carefully walk through in the book the difference between mental resilience and mental illness. And I think we've become obsessed with labeling in society. So the media love the idea of one in five of us having mental illness. And as I said to you just before, I've worked for almost a decade in suicide counseling and I, and I know about mental illness, mm. but I think we're so quick to label ourselves that what we're leaving behind is the hard work needed to be also mentally resilient and not even get to the point where we have to label ourselves, but perhaps we need to work much more on our resilience. And so that that is the first of the brutal truths. Is, we're is that mentally, mental weakness? Is that the truth? Is that yeah, the, the, the truth is we're mentally weak, not necessarily mentally ill, which is, you know, can be taken the wrong way by some people. But I tell you what, the message is very simple, is that we've got to do some hard work on our own resilience and... We've got to accept that we've lost our gods in the Western in the Western world. We've taught easy for too long. We've got, had a prosperity boom and we're not really up for the fight. So that's the first call out is I think the truth is before we call ourselves mentally ill, let's just understand that we need to be resilient. So that's the first one. They're weak and, and not ill. And that yeah. sort of leads back to your point where you, you had mentioned before soft, you know, where yeah. we're, we're, we're too soft in ourselves. We're, we're always looking for the easy way out and, and to... to say we've got a disease or an illness or something like that is, is much easier than trying to build up that the resilience. 
I like the way you said that too. It's soft on ourselves, you know, and that's the point. I think we've become soft on ourselves because I think you said it in something else I was, I was watching you talk about. It's so much easier to go and get distracted and, and have another this or another that and, and really not do the hard work we need to toughen ourselves up because as the world continues to be chaotic, we need to get tougher internally and from a fortitude point of view. So that's really the first one. People take it the wrong way, Lee, because they think I'm having a go at mental illness. I'm not. I'm mm. having a resilience so the second one is that we've also lost our tribes so when when covid came and everyone said we're in this together i kind of laughed and and it's back to our early thoughts in this call uh is that you know we, we don't have real tribes communities fallen apart in a lot of parts of the world especially in australia and we're not in this together and we have phantom tribes and we have meism so let's be honest we haven't got strong tribes in community and that's the second brutal truth um, and the third brutal truth is that we're not equal. Now, that is a controversial one, because what I'm saying here is that this is very confusing for us. And this is about the obsession in the last 10 years with making everything a fair playing field and, and everyone equal. The, 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 the job shouldn't be about equality. It should be about discrimination. We should never discriminate. We should not be prejudicial. But mm. we can't make the world equal. Um, we're not going to be equal. And in, and in this sort of misguided mission to make equality where we're kind of doing the wrong things we're trying to set quotas for jobs or quotas for, um, for for different groups and what we should be doing is we should be understanding that every one of us wants to compete and every one of us wants to measure ourselves against other people life's a scoreboard so i think we've got the wrong filter for viewing discrimination let's not view it from a level playing field of making everything equal let's view it from what is just, what is fair, what is right. Um, and we've lost our righteousness. So that's uh, the third brutal truth. I'll, I'll finish them off and then you can come back on some yeah, of yep, yep, go for it. The fourth one is that we're still animals. And so this leads to this confusion. And the brutal truth is we're animals. We're, we're not sophisticated. Um, in fact, we're quite unsophisticated. As soon as you put a line down between two, two um, sets of people, they will compete. Um, we're instinctive, but we don't know how to be instinctive anymore. And we have a leadership crisis, which is the fifth one. Um, the fifth brutal truth is we really need heroes. And heroes have become almost, you know, almost a point where don't be heroic because that's reckless or it might send us down the wrong path. And so we're killing our heroes, especially in Australia. So, yeah, the idea of we're still animals and we need heroes, the fourth and fifth. So they're the five brutal truths that I think if we understood and stop becoming so sensitive about having these discussions, we might then lay the path for our own self-awareness, and, and that's where the book goes. So the path to self-awareness, what, what is the ultimate goal here with, you know, the path to self-awareness? What does that aim to achieve? In my view, the path to self-awareness is you first of all have to lay it clean from lying to yourself. And I think we do lie to ourselves about all the things we need. So I need to have a profile on social media. I need to be known. I need to be, people need to be aware of me. I need to look a certain way. Mm. Um, and I need to be uh, having a fair go and equal to everyone else. I need to get that job even though I'm not qualified because I have the right to it. I'm entitled. Um, so this idea about entitlement versus resilience, I think the road to self-awareness is to strip that away and say, okay, very simply, what is what what are you here to do? Like, and the and I've got a formula in the book that I think you'd enjoy, and it's mm. a part formula. It simply says, if you take 
a moment in your life where you felt that you were on song, that things were flowing effortlessly through you. Mm. And it's a combination of three things. One is you were using the talent you were born with, you were adding the skills you've collected, and you were having an effect on the world that you thought was pretty cool. So it's a combination of talent, skills, and effect caught up in a moment that you can remember having. If you go back to that moment and strip away all the lies of the stuff that I talked about before, then you will find your moment of self-truth. If you then build your relevance to the world you're in through that, in other words, you build a life around that moment of self-truth, I believe you'll be living in a fulfilled way. In other words, it doesn't. it's not governed by how much money you want or where you, what your goals are. It's governed by that combination of talent, skills, and effect. And, and I think that's what I call the moment of self-truth. Hmm. Have you had many of those? I have. I've had... I've had the same one over and over again. Um, my really? self-truth is came about 15 years ago when I did a thing called Lectern Rock, which was a, a rock show which we took around the world where I narrated with a five-piece rock band and talked about, you know, what it is to be a, a business and what you should believe in. And there was 1,500 people in the first first one in a Malthouse Theatre in Melbourne. And we did it um, powered by Westpac and they paid for it. No one had seen the show and I came out on stage and... I was literally um, out of control with fear, but then it just flowed. And I, and I looked at the audience and I saw their faces and I saw and I could feel this thing flowing as I just relaxed into it. And yeah, I used some of the skills I'd picked, but nothing had ever come close to that moment of being able to have an effect on people. And so from that moment on, I've dedicated everything I do to trying to put those three skills together. And that's helped me live in a much more of a... Um, much more of a fulfilled way and I, and I find that to be a lot cooler sort of way. So you're just using that moment and, and combining those things more regularly now to, to experience that more often, is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying, yeah. yeah. I think if you understand what that moment is and you can then deconstruct it and say, well, it's made up of the, these things, I have to be, if I can, you know, live with people and, and, and the ability to inspire them, I have to have content that is thought-provoking and, and I have to do it in a way that I can have an effect instantly on people, not just give them, you know, something to go and read. So, yeah, I mean, you have to then form what that combination means for what you do, you know, what mm. is your livelihood? And I think you would have had the same, wouldn't you, Lee? You would have had those moments? Yeah, no, I probably have. <laughs> I haven't really reflected on it as much, and, and this is something that I can go back now after you sharing and reflect on it because um, I think it, it probably is quite eye-opening. Um, and certainly I agree that, you know, you need to have your talents and skills in that mix of, of finding your why, which is outlined in my, my um, ultimate life map principle. Exactly, exactly. And I look, another, another example I found really interesting, I spoke to a young 23-year-old the other day about it, and I do this now with people, and, and he said, I don't know what it is. And I said, just think, think about somewhere in your life that you can remember, because everyone can do it, they're just reticent. So I said, think about a moment where it, it, it comes to mind quite quickly. And he said, oh, I know a moment. And I, he, I said, what was it? And he said, well, I was in Nepal and uh, and I was taken on this sort of, there was um, a charity thing that took young people up to have an experience. And he was taken up into the mountains above Kathmandu. And he was in a little village. And he said, this was my moment. He said, I never believed I could do it, but I, I saw the poverty and I saw the things they weren't doing. And I thought, and they weren't talking to each other in this village and they were just living on a very basic existence. And he described to me the moment was when he thought, what I need to do is get these people together and have a talk to them. And he got them together in a hut and he talked to them all and everything flowed through him. 
And he used some skills he'd picked up, such as the ability to sort of orate a bit, the ability to facilitate a bit, the ability to listen. But, but what he was doing was he was just letting his instinct flow. And the effect he had on those people was instantaneous. The next day they got together on a project to fix the well in the village. And instead yeah. of them trying to do their own thing, they did one thing together. He said it was an amazing effect and he's come back into, into life. And, and he's actually come and done the same sort of stuff, which has been really cool. And that's, that's his moment of self-truth. That's cool. Powerful tool. I like it. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, it, I do it every day now with people and they kind of get really annoyed at me. And, uh, and I say, no, just it only takes five minutes just to think about it. It takes hours to then go and reflect and do something with it. But yeah. everyone's got one and uh, we've got multiple. We've got multiple. So it's definitely, really definitely. It's, it's just that finding that combination. And look, I've, I've been searching for several years now. The topic that I'm passionate about is happiness. And, and I, I do that because I guess there's this there's this well in my life where I feel like perhaps there it's not existing, so I'm searching for how do you create that, you know, more sustainable level of happiness. And part of that journey is figuring out where what what is the purpose here, what is it that I should be doing, and I don't I still don't think I've found it, but um, slowly pieces come together, um, mm. and I'm not just I'm not just going to give in and, and just accept that this is this is it, um, and still I'm I'm still there, 39 years old now, and I, I still wonder whether this is quite it, but I'm actually bit more patient now and i think this is where people lose the way i'm a bit more patient saying okay well it's okay i'm 39 yes and, and perhaps it's not all together yet but it's coming together i can see that that's happening um and it may still be another 10 years maybe 20 years who knows but um giving yourself that patience and being kind to yourself to allow it to, to come together is important too yeah i love that i reckon that's a really cool thing because this should not be a um, this should not be a goal in a, in of itself. It should be a journey, as and I hate using that word because everyone uses it. But it should be just that's this. That's true. Thing. Yeah. yeah, it's Process. true. Mm-hmm. You just you know that's half the fun is kind of pointing yourself in a direction you think is right, and then taking the knocks and moving around. I, I draw you to um, something I'm sure you've seen many times. It's the Hunter S. Thompson letter he wrote when he was in his twenties called the Ninth Path, and to me the Ninth Path is a brilliant piece of writing by Thompson where he talks about a man, the, the need to choose a path which will let his abilities function at their maximum and towards the gratification of our own desires, right? So in other words, our fulfillment. And he said, it's never about actually, it, it questions the word purpose and replaces it with the notion of a way of life. So in other words, you don't always know what your goal is, but you, you and, and you reject predefined goals. Instead, you opt for a way of life that you know you'll enjoy that is fulfilling and to do that in many ways you have to do what i'm talking about you have to kind of go well all right what's the moment of self-truth so i can live that way and 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 maybe stop short of setting a goal maybe mm. don't have a goal and and he finishes by saying assume you have a choice of eight paths and all are predetermined and you can't see any real purpose in any of them, especially for young people where they're told by teachers and parents, and assume you see no purpose in any of the eighth path, then you must find a ninth path. And the ninth path is your own. And I, and I think that's what you and I are probably talking about here is that, you know, if you don't get obsessed with a goal and goal setting, and maybe not even what is my purpose, but what is what is my path that I'm going to take and what is my most and just enjoy that until purpose sort of comes out of that. And and I think that's an interesting way of seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not enjoying that day-to-day process, I think Steve Jobs said in one of his commencement speeches, if you're not enjoying that day-to-day process, then something needs to change. 
Yeah, and I think that brings us back to the, the what needs to change. In my view, when I wrote, I wrote backwards in this book, and I wrote from the most backwards. And I thought, well, what's stopping us from self-awareness and being yeah. true to ourselves? And I think that what's stopping us, and that's what Steve Jobs was talking about, is we're not enjoying it because we are too busy lying to ourselves or living a lie that society is creating through these these brutal, um, well, if essentially the brutal truths will set you free. And I think that the biggest one and the one that worries me the most is the isolation one where we've lost our tribes. And, and that's because we've become sort of soft and, and mentally not as resilient. And so we sort of stay indoors and go, well, at least I've got my social media and at least I've got my Netflix and my computer and my games and I don't have to talk to anybody. That worries me greatly. Mm, mm. It's interesting that social media. I was flicking through it last night, uh, which I try not to do, but I was. And, um, and then I saw something and I started thinking about that and it made me think, oh, what should I be doing? And man, it's it's really disruptive um, to yeah. your to your own personal inner mental clarity. Uh, and I was just I just had that moment. I flicked and I thought, and then I thought, actually, that's just bothered me. Isn't that crazy? Um, and it shouldn't bother me. So I, I turned it off and I said, that's just rubbish. You know, that's not what it's about. Yeah. Um, you know, it's about following. Again, I just had that little moment where it was about, no, this is this is my process. How I'm living my life is is rewarding enough for me right now. And I don't need to have that thought. So, you know, perhaps we need to tune off from the social media for that reason. Yeah, but, um, it's addictive, isn't it, too? And I think that's what leads to the confusion I was talking about earlier is that we get confused because when you're on there, you see all these great views, but they're everyone else's views. And mm. I think the thing I'm most against is that we are now borrowing beliefs from everyone else. Get your own. Like, get your own belief. Stand yourself on the ground and be what you want to be. Don't read everyone else's and go, yeah, I'll have that today and then tomorrow there'll be a new one. That's what's killing us. Mm, yeah, people aren't taking their own initiative. What do you do? I mean, you're a very creative person. Um, how do you, because I mean, a lot of a lot of what we believe is, is absorbed from the world that we live in and what we consume. What do you do to minimalize that but still have it so you can have that level of creative uh, output? Look, I, my, my answer to that is fairly controversial for people because I try and read not very much at all. I try and, I, I try and actually hardly ever read um, stuff from other people. I really try and observe. And so all of my creativity comes from observation. Up until this year, I, I try to average around 15 to 20 countries a year of touring and traveling and, and also running the agencies. Um, but I, I, I try and spend as little time as I can taking in other people's rhetoric and I just try and clear the mind so I can sit in a in a, a, a airline terminal or a train station or a shopping centre and watch and observe and listen to people. Don't 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 necessarily read their rhetoric, but have real conversations. So Lee, for me as a creative person, my creativity comes from trying to find that inspiration from observation rather than people's prepared rhetoric. Um, and I think that and it's what you're saying with social media. That is prepared rhetoric. You know, people ponder what they're going to say so they come across as impressive rather than spilling their guts. Mm. And I think that, you know, I love conversations where people aren't doing prepared stuff. They're just sort of saying, here's what I feel. So I like to go and drink with people. I like to, you know, get loose with people. I like to kind of have dinner and I like to – and that's what makes me creative, not mm. not reading a thousand things in a, you know, speed reading through four books a month. Just It's crap. You know, so it's your own thoughts. And uh, I've written four books, but I've probably read three. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. It's going to discourage people from reading your book now. You realise that? Yeah. I, look, <laughs> it, 
Probably will, but if in doing that, you know, none of us are ever going to get rich from making books. I think the, the point about a book is that if, if, if one thought gets out to someone and they kind of go, well, maybe I'm just going to find a rock this weekend, I'm going to ponder for an hour, then I'm thinking that's a contribution to society I'm proud of. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love it. What um, What is your sort of daily routine look like? Do you have a routine? Are you a routine person? No, I'm not. It's a bit like the book thing, you know, and a bit like everything else I just said. I'm chaotic. I like to try mm. and do things differently every day. I try and I, I try and actually avoid routines at every cost. It's really yeah. I'm the antithesis of my headed yeah. modern age self development in many ways because I like to. I like to walk the different way every day. I like to drive to work a different way. I like to I like to not have a routine. So, I, so you I, don't wake up at a certain time every day, I or do not. no, I do not. I wake up when I wake up. If I have something I have to get up to, I wake up at a different time for that. But I don't have a set routine. I think that routines can really, unfortunately, in my world, and not not everyone's the same. But as a creative and and as a thinker, I try and keep my mind free so that I reject some of the experts who might tell me that I have to have an organized life. I have to have a chaotic life because chaos brings all sorts of questions that I then need to have to answer in my own mind. Yeah. So, yeah, I know it's an unusual answer, but well, for me, I'm the, the opposite of the spectrum. I, I have to have that routine. Yeah. I feel I have to have it anyway. And it's whatever works, isn't it, for each person? It's just that you know, your question was a very good one because for me as a creative, what works is this. But for someone who is not or is something else, then you've got to find your own way and not be told by someone else what to do, including me. Don't be told mm. by me what to do, but but have what I say as a thought that goes, okay, I'm going to think about that. I'm going to reject some. I'm going to accept some, and I'm going to mm. have my thoughts. So that's what it's about, I think, anyway. But perhaps having that chaos, I mean, for me, the routine must be about having some level of certainty and control. Yeah. Um, with with without the routine, I, I I lack that, and therefore perhaps that's more um, uh, fear provoking for me. And I mean, you touched on it before, where you said you sat in front of that audience and you had all this fear. It must have been immense. I, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, but that fear sometimes is a sign of of perhaps how we should be living, and perhaps it's that fear that we face that builds up that resilience, so to avoid us from being soft. I love that comment. That's that's a brilliant summary because when I walked on that stage. I refused to have notes or scripts, so I went. I was going off the cuff, and it was a 90-minute show. So I, I walked <laughs> off and had one thought: "Holy shit, I've got 90 minutes, and I don't remember anything. Nothing's in my head." And then I just took a breath, and it all came through my head. So, yeah, I think the fear is there to tell you that something's important, and you either fight or flight, or you do all those things that we know what to do with fear. Mm. But living with fear, not 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 having it, is stupid. Living with it and and channeling it. Um, and that's why my chaos tends to work. So, mm. yeah, it's uh, it's philosophical in the way you want to live. And it always comes back to that same question of what do you want to do? You know, that's what it comes back to. Do you meditate? No, I don't. Someone said to me years ago, um, you should meditate. And I described my creative process, which um, I have a way of doing creative. And I dig down and down and down and down. And they said, you just described meditation. I said, okay, I'm happy with that. So, no, I have a, a process of creative which mm. I think is my own sort of invented meditation. Um, but no, I don't do anything. This is going to sound terribly arrogant, but I try not to do anything that someone else has invented. I try and do all my own inventions. And as such, I find that I've only got one person to blame and that's myself. And I like living that way. Got your own way. Yeah, that's right. I like it. What The observation piece really fascinates me because I, I think um, for me personally, um, observing is the best way that I can I can take things on and understand things and learn. Um, but is there any sort of 
practice to that? Is it just going out there and you just watch people? Like, I mean, you mustn't be distracted by your phone and have your earphones in listening to podcasts. I imagine you're just very much limitless in that sense or? Yeah, it's a really good question, actually, because I think I do it. I think I do it all the time. So, and I'm sort of second listening or watching all the time to people around me. You know what I think it is? The secret to all that is actually just getting out of your own way sometimes and being really keen observer and and, and interested in others. And mm. as such, you know, being interested in others has that beautiful effect of being able to allow you to be a better person. And I think that it's just being open to being fascinated by why did that person just do that? Like he just walked over there and did that. Or why is he animated to that person? I can't hear what they're talking about. Or sitting someone someone behind you in a plane and listening to what they're saying, which is terribly unsocial, it's terribly uncouth to do. But, you know, <laughs> trying to imagine what the rest of their life is like and trying to think about how people live. And that's kind of the process I use. It's just obsession with trying to understand people. And so you're very much unplugged. All as much as I can possibly be mm. unplugged and trying to keep less distraction from everyone else's voices to so I can hear my own. That's a that's a, a good way to be. Do you have like is I mean your phone? Do you have to have a, a a ritual where you just put your phone away so you can do that? I mean, do you limit yourself to you know one hour a day where you're on the emails? Like, is there anything that you do to help you avoid those things entering your life and and therefore disrupting disrupting your ability to observe the, the I've, I've got worse on it in recent times during covid the phone has become much more my friend than it used to be but yeah i used to have rules i, I still have rules that it stays after about eight o'clock at night it goes away and i don't look at it again until the morning um and the morning i don't look at it until about uh, until after i've done a couple of things so about eight o'clock i might look at it uh, and so otherwise no unfortunately i'm more ruled um during the day than i have been ever before by the bloody phone but mm. Yeah, I think you're onto something there that it's an important thing to to put it away as much as you can so that otherwise you don't get a free flow on a thought because as soon as you're having a thought and it goes ding, you think, gee, that might be important. Well, it's actually not as important as a thought you're just formulating. So I try mm. and do that as much as I can. But it is, it's, I mean, people talk about stillness, stillness and things. I don't really understand all that stuff, but I understand my own. Mm. And that's, I can't operate if I haven't got gaps in the day to think. Simple as that. I just yeah. Got time you know got to have time to ponder we just become so used to it and you know we're at we're at the whim of of our technology i will Um, listen to music lee though i will listen to music for a couple of hours anything else and i think that gets you to somewhere else so i'll just sit there and listen to music yep that's it and i'll have a notepad and and i'll listen to music and then i'll write something because the lyrics are talking in a certain way so gee you can get some stuff out of that because they're the pure artists that aren't aren't contained by the political correction of the world. And I find them much more truthful about what's going on in the world. So, yeah, I turn to the musicians. What do you, um, is there something you do to put your creative thought together? Like, is there a a way you go about that? Like putting two hours aside at night where you can spend on that or is it just random? Well, it's two, there's two levels to that. The, the constantness is what we've just described, so that's going on all the time, and so I'm hopefully being creative all the time. But when I've got an actual job to do, which is maybe, you know, write something, I, um, I always start by picturing, by having a vision of someone who is receiving what I've written, and I want a certain reaction from them. And so I envision someone at home on a Sunday morning reading Good Weekend or reading a magazine and that maybe I've written something in that or maybe they've seen something I've done. 
I, I want them to have a reaction and I want to know how do I get that reaction. And I work backwards from that. I know it sounds strange, but I work backwards from a human reaction because sometimes I want a reaction of horror. Sometimes I want a reaction of I want them to cry with emotion. Sometimes I want them to um, be inquisitive. It depends on what the job is as to the reaction I want. And I work backwards from a reaction and mm. picture it and write to it. And that's how I do it. Yeah. Strange, isn't it? No, I love it. I love it. Great conversation. The, yeah. um, I mean, the brutal truth. I, I just want to encourage everyone to, to read the book and um, and and delve into each of those topics. I suppose. Um, one thing, lost tribes. I mean, you said that's one of the important things. What do you see as a solution for us to really get back to that connectivity? What a great way to end. I think the solution is really simple. I think that the meaning of life is if we're all doing what we're meant to do, staying in our lanes, and understanding what it is, there'll be a connectivity between us. And, and tr great tribes <clears throat> are not made of, you know, a hundred people who are all the same. They're made of a collection of different people. There's someone who is a great with their hands, someone who's orator, someone who's a leader, someone who's a labourer, someone who's a fighter and a warrior. And I think that if we do know what we're meant to do and we find our own lanes and we find our moment of self-truth, then that will form new tribes and the community will be very healthy because people are not trying to do what everyone else has got or be what everyone else is. And I, and I do think that's the secret of the reformation of our tribes is go back to knowing yourself so that you can be part of a tribe and not covet thy neighbours everything. That's what it comes down to. Do you think it's possible? Um, look, look, I don't know. I don't know. I, it's a, such a hard question to finish on, Lee. It's, it seems like the acceptance, you know, of being yourself, like we judge and and, and we're forming these one-sided stories Um yeah. That just doesn't allow the individual to be the individual. No, I know. And that's why I as you hesitate with my answer. Um, my optimism would 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 like to think it's going to happen. Mm. my My fatalism suggests that maybe we're too far down the line with consumerism, and the only thing that's going to stop it is a major catastrophe worldwide, like Covid times ten, to for us to really realise what's important, which is each other and community and knowing ourselves. Don't know, jury's out, mate. I, I, look, let's just let's just end this way. That I hope it is possible, and I think we should try. It is possible, mate. Great to connect. Um, I'll get the links in the in the show notes for the book. Um, where can they reach out to you? Is it yeah, well, thinking.com? Yeah, they can reach out at at at, um, at fiftycrates.com.au, which will get to me as well, or hammondthinking.com. Either of those, hammondthinking.com is my own site. So, Lee, it's been a great pleasure to catch up with you at last. I love your stuff. So, thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for coming on, mate. And guys, check it out at thehiddenwire.com, episode 946. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there. And also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. 
You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose. And in doing so, you will discover your hidden why. This is The Hidden Why. My name is Lee Martin Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon.